Father, we want to thank you for the gifts of people that you give to your church, gifts to encourage and strengthen and edify and build up your church. And we want to thank you for the gift that Chris is uh, to the churches in this community and the gift that he's been to St. Albans Vineyard for many, many years. And so, Lord, we pray this morning as he ministers that our hearts will be open. We want to hear from you. We want to be built up. And we want to become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think Chris is winning the beard, the beard um, competition, wouldn't you say? This is a proper beard, Ant. That is just your hair that slipped round onto your chin, mate. It's so wonderful to be here this morning, and I just so, so love the worship. Uh, one, of the great, one of the lovely things is that since I've retired, uh, I've been able to visit a number of other churches. I, I used to just say no every time. I, I know that Ant and Helen have the same problem. They are in demand at other churches, and the Lord just spoke to me some years ago and said, you've got to say no to these invites. You are a local church pastor, and uh, you've got to concentrate on St. Albans. So I did that faithfully. I was happy to do it. Great privilege. But since I retired, I've been able to say yes. First of all, I didn't think anybody would invite me, but they did. But, um, you know, I've, I've been around, and if all, this, all the... I mean, I was at a little church uh, a couple of... About, about six weeks ago. There's probably about 12 people in it. One of the things I said to the Lord is, I'll say yes to everything this year. And... Um, that's proving to be a bit of a challenge, but there was about 12 people, and the worship was, was not in any sense uh, finessed, but it was so tender, and it was so heartfelt. It was wonderful to be there, but it's good to be here this morning. It feels a bit more like home, and I really enjoyed it, so thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to be uh, talking uh, for a little while about, uh, uh, this talk is called Dealing with Disappointment, and there's a subtitle which is Unlocking Unbelief. And uh, just to give you a heads up, I know you do this in this church, but I am going to give you an opportunity to respond at the end. It's the kind of thing that needs a response. And for some of you, you may feel that you want to come forward. Now, if you're in the middle of a row, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but you just have to man up or woman up and say, uh, uh, and say excuse me, and just come out. It's just really something that I've, is on my heart at the moment, and it kind of took me by surprise because I realized that God was speaking to me about something in my life. And the best sermons come out of your, your personal life. So, so that's where we're going with this thing. Um, I'll just put my phone here. I'm, just, I'm expecting a call about PPI insurance. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to miss it, you know. Uh, <laughs> or the accident that I had was not my fault, you know. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll look forward to that one. Um, so I'm, I, I want to just ask you a question, just to, by way of getting into this thing. How many of you have had some great, great experience, a great time, a great, you know, a great victory in the Lord, or, or something really goes well, and uh, you're absolutely on cloud nine, and then suddenly it's as if the following day the wheels fall off your life and everything goes wrong and, and, and just falls apart. Anybody identify with that kind of juxtaposition, something going fabulously well, and then suddenly it's as, oh my gosh, you know. And you get into bed that night and you say to the Lord, Lord, was today really necessary? And, uh, you know, it's just a, a difficult time. Well, you know, I, I've had a few of those, and we, in a little while we're going to see how Jesus had a day like that, but... But uh, I want to tell you about one of mine just to connect with you and just to sort of know that I have the same struggles. Well, Fliss and myself, we've got four kids. 
uh, when we were uh, probably about 10 or 15 years into our church plant, we, we lived for the holidays because it was so intense. And on this particular occasion, we lived right in the center of town in a great big sort of six-bedroom house we were renting. And uh, we'd had our, our home group, and uh, we were going on holiday. We were actually going to be getting up at three in the morning. The kids were very excited. You know the kind of gig. And then we were going to go off down to the west coast of France, the Vendée, and uh, camp there. And so, you know, we, we, we said goodbye to the last person. I kind of chivied them out the door a little bit. My favorite line in those days was, well, I mustn't keep you any longer, as I <laughs> hoof them out the door. You know, and they were like, well, oh, oh. <laughs> so we got rid of them pretty quickly. Good line, that ant, you know, mustn't keep you any longer. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was actually outside putting a, lo- a few bits and pieces in our big old Volvo, getting packed up so that we could take off early in the morning. And as I'm packing up, this, I see this guy out of the corner of my eye walking down the road. And as he gets near, I re- realize he's a guy called Scott. And we had met him a couple of weeks previously in the park. We were doing an open air. And bless his heart, he, uh, he had uh, given his life to Christ. He was a lovely young man. And after that, he showed up to everything, everything we did, you know, sort of toddler classes and, you know, you know pre-maternity classes and all sorts of stuff. You know, he was so excited, he just wanted to be at everything. And I saw this guy, Scott, walking down towards me, and I said, hi, Scott, how you doing, bro? And he looked a bit downcast, and he said, uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, not so good, really, Chris. Thanks for asking. I said, well, you know, what's the matter? He said, well, I've just been chucked out of my flat. And I said, wow, that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, tell me a bit about it. So he told me a little bit about it, you know. And uh, I said, so where you, where you, you know, what, what are you doing? Where are you going to stay? And he said, well, I've rung up a friend. I'm going to sofa surf tonight, but I've got to sort something out. And then this thought began to sort of go around my mind, you know. And uh, I said, well, and half of me is saying, oh, God, no, really? And uh, the other half is going, I'm a Christian. Remember, Chris, you're a Christian. And I'm saying, well, can I, I'm on holiday. I don't have to be a Christian when I'm, I'll be a, you're a Christian, Chris, you know. And this kind of you know, thing is going on. So I decided to be a Christian. Yay. And uh, I said to him, Scott, I said, listen, we're going away for a couple of weeks. How about, how about, you know, you, you know, house sit for us. And uh, that's two weeks. And uh, that'll give you a little chance, a little bit of breathing room. And, uh, you know, I know you'll, you know, look after the place he said yeah sure sure I said well okay listen here's a key so I gave him a key and uh, you can let yourself in tomorrow and uh, you, know, uh, you know God bless you we'll see you when you get back and please don't burn the house down you know so I go inside and Fliss is sort of busy doing things like that and um, I said to Fliss guess what <laughs> and, uh, anyway I told her and she said what we'll all be murdered in our beds I said no we won't we're on holiday in France you know <laughs> and um so anyway, we went off and we had a wonderful time. One of those memorable holidays, one of those kind of holidays that the kids still talk about. Do you remember when? You know, da 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 da. Lovely, lovely French holiday. And it really wasn't until we were on the M25 coming back home that I began to think, oh God, oh God, oh God. I hope this has been all right. And anyway, we pulled up out of the house, uh, in front of the house, and it, you know, it wasn't a smoking wreck. 
And we went in, and Scott was there, and also another young guy called Toby, who we knew quite well. And, uh, and we went in, and the house looked great. You know, it was all sort of clean and tidy, and as we left it, and we said, well, hey, guys, thank you. For, thank you for looking after it. Bless your hearts. We really appreciate it. They said, no problem, Chris, really no problem, you know. And uh, so we went to bed that night thinking, oh, oh, we did good. We did good. Anyway, we sleep in a bit late because, you know, we're very tired of all the travel. And suddenly I'm woken up that morning by bang, 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 bang. I thought that it was a drugs raid, you know. And anyway, I went down the front door, and it's our neighbor, and she stands there, and she says, how could you? And you're a pastor as well. And I thought, well, what have I done? What have I done? And she said, you know, we had to call the police multiple times. And anyway, our house, while we were away, had become party central. <laughs> they were big old houses, Three doors down, there was a house with squatters in, you know, which is a bit of a pain. Uh, and they had had to call the police because of the noise. <laughs> and, uh, and it had literally, I, I swear, you know, if I can say this, I think children were conceived in our house during that two, that two weeks. And, and it was just unbelievable. This, this neighbor, we brought her in. She was absolutely livid. She was upset. She said, I looked out of my bathroom one day and there was a, a naked man climbing down the drain pipe. <sighs> oh my gosh. And, and I won't tell you what Fliss said to me, but uh, <laughs> it was uplifting and uh, told me things I needed to hear. And anyway, we called Scott, we called Toby round, and they sat on the end of the sofa, uh, on the edge of the sofa, looking like naughty boys, in, as they were. And, uh, you know, we, we did the same thing. How could you? And all the rest of it, this kind of stuff. And when I, I was a bit cross, and I, I unloaded a bit, you know. At one point, Toby says to me, he says, Chris... When we were in jail, we sung hymns. <laughs> I said, Toby, this I don't know. What, what do you mean, when you were in jail? <laughs> I think we're missing something here. And he said, well, you know, we, we got arrested in the town and we spent the night in jail and I was singing hymns. I said, look, let, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> anyway, long story short, they were disciplined. They stayed in the church, bless their hearts. And uh, I went out and bought a really big bunch of flowers. And when I say really big bunch of flowers, it was huge. It was like something that uh, gangsters give each other in, you know, mafia give each other at funerals, you know. <laughs> Enormous, great, big, over-the-top things. And I bought this thing and staggered up the drive to our neighbors knocked on the door and all she could see was a great big bunch of flowers and a pair of feet and I'm pretty big and it made her laugh and the relationship was okay it made her laugh now I tell you all of that just because I've got 45 minutes to speak and I don't know <laughs> well I tell you all of that because we've all had those occasions when Things just are wonderful, and then suddenly 
it all goes pear-shaped. I've heard Christians say, uh, they say, you know, oh, we had a wonderful, wonderful time with the Lord at the weekend, or God did this amazing thing in my life. And then the following day, you know, you know, old Nick had a go, Satan had a go, and yeah, well, I suppose he's going to do that, isn't he? I mean, you know, I th- you know, I've heard that, and I just want to say to you, as, a, as an aside, please don't do that. Please don't say that. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when you say that, you empower the enemy. Don't empower him. We can have a great time. We can have a glorious time. We can have no great victories. And the enemy does not have permission to give you a rotten day the following day. So let's just kick that one into touch, okay? But Jesus, he had a day like I had. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 9, we read how Jesus went up this mountain with two of his friends I'm not going to read the, it's called the Transfiguration. I'm not going to read that story. I'm going to read the following story in a minute. But Jesus went up this mountain with two, of, two, two or three of his closest uh, friends, disciples, we call them. And while he was up there, he had this, there was this extraordinary uh, experience that the disciples witnessed where Jesus found himself, and he knew it was going to happen, of course just uh, revealed as the king of kings he is. No longer a carpenter's son, no longer a traveling preacher, but on the top of that mountain, and some argue about where it is, but Mount Tabor, I've been up that mountain, and boy, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, I tell you. He was up there, and while he was up there, he met with Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law of God, and Elijah, the prophets of God. And they spoke about the next phase of Jesus' ministry leading up to him being crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. And that means my sin as well and your sin. And that's why Christians get excited about a torture thing because on that cross, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, your sin and mine, and then we celebrate with great joy, and we caught glimpses of that, the fact that Jesus is alive because three days afterwards, Father raised him from the dead. And now he reigns in glory, and we're all looking forward to him coming again. So on this occasion, Jesus is up the mountain, and there's this extraordinary experience, this revelation of, of, of Jesus as he truly is. Actually, He's going to be more than that. We're going to see more than that. But the disciples were completely wowed by that. And, of course, some of you will know that Peter said to him, look, Master, this is so good that we're here. Um, Why why didn't I put up some kind of uh, tents or something for us so we can all hang out together? Uh, And I can imagine uh, Jesus' face at that point. Really? (laughs) Did you really say that? But anyway, at that point, God the Father interrupted, and he's always welcome to interrupt And God the Father, this voice spoke on the top of the mountain and said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. You can hear a pin drop. You can hear a pin drop now. Anyway, with that, the cloud lifted. Moses and Elijah went Jesus' clothes and being and visage face were all sort of restored to normal and they made it their way back down the 
down the mountain. Jesus said to the guys, he said, listen, do me a favor, bro. Don't say anything about this for the time being. Just keep it to yourselves. But I bet they were just in stunned silence as they walked down that mountain. They get to the bottom of the mountain to join the rest of the disciples, the rest of the 12, the 12 sort of close in the inner circle. And all hell is breaking loose. There's a riot going on. And we're going to pick up that story now. Um, I don't know whether it'll, it may come up on the screen even. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to read this story and then we're going to just unpack it a little bit. So Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, and I'm reading from the NIV version, Necessary in Vineyard. You, you, you probably, do you use the ESV? What do you use? ESV, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I should have thought about that earlier when I should have brought the ESV. So uh, follow it along. It'll be on the screen. Uh, forgive me if I just read it from the, the NIV. Verse 14, when they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. I am intrigued by that statement. They were overwhelmed with wonder. Was there still some of the glory on him from that mountain? I want to find out about that. that. That is an intriguing statement. They were overwhelmed with wonder. What was that about? Anyway, we we can't dwell on that. And uh, they ran to meet him. Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. You know, Jesus, he's just been up there. He's had this experience, the affirmation of the Father. And he comes down and his disciples are sort of in an argument. Like, oh my gosh, guys, really? Can't I leave you for five minutes? 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. (sighs) Jesus, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but I do sense a little exasperation in in his comment here. He says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. You can sense his sort of disappointment. He's disappointed for a number of reasons. But one thing we can say is that he has given the disciples authority and power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And so, you know, what's this about, guys? I thought we did this last week. We, you know, we went out and, you know, you cast out demons. What, what is going on here? So they, he says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? How long has he been like this? How long has he been like this? See, one of the things that Jesus left behind when he he is God, he is the Son of God, 
And one of the things he left behind to be truly man was omniscience. God knows all of the answers to these questions. But Jesus actually, although he operates in what we call words of knowledge, situational moments of, of supernatural insight into a situation, he is actually operating out of his humanity. He doesn't know the answer to all these things. So he says to this man, when he sees the boy and sees the condition, and oh my gosh, we have a problem. He says to the man, he says, how long has he been like this? And the answer is gut-wrenching. The father says, from childhood. From childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It doesn't say how old this young man, this child is. But this dear man and his family have put up with a lifetime thus far of dealing with a seriously ill, seriously disturbed, seriously troubled family member. Again and again and again, they've had to rescue him. Again and again, they've had to drag him out of the fire, of, 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 of harm's way. The dear mother uh, has had to endure, first of all, embarrassment, but then the pity of her peers when she takes him out for a bit of fresh air, a little walk down through the village, and suddenly has a seizure. He's assaulted by this demon or whatever, and, and she has to deal with it. And like every good mother, you, you, no longer are you trying to put on airs and graces you, you, you're just having to deal with the situation it's humiliating but she's 10 clicks past humiliation a lifetime of dealing with this how long has he been like this from childhood but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us and Jesus answers in that quirky, seemingly inappropriate way, if you can. I mean, this is not, it's, for most of us, we would not think this was a teaching moment. But the Son of God says, if you can. Now just recall what Jesus said when he came down from the mountain. He said, you unbelieving generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long have I got to put up with this? And he says to the man, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible. And the man comes out with this wonderful statement. He probably didn't think it was wonderful. He didn't sit and thought, now how can I answer that in a really memorable way? He just speaks from his heart. He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. And what he says is, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, church, I, I want to really underline this statement. Because what the Lord said to me about me, which I then realized was where a lot of Christians are. Now, you may be just visiting. You may have been brought along by a friend. You, this, you may be still at that point where you wouldn't actually call yourself a Christian yet, but you are, you're interested, you know, it's kind of, 
you know, the, uh, the nice welcome. You quite enjoy the music and stuff like that. And if what I'm about to say offends you or, or unsettles you, I, I apologize. But I'm really going to just speak to those of you who are Christians. I believe that all of us, at some time or another, are in that place of saying, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. And let's just think about unbelief for a moment. Unbelief is not ignorance. Unbelief is not ignorance. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ, I, was, uh, I didn't grow up in a church family, had no involvement in the church at all. And then uh, I was at school, I was about 11 years of age, something like that. And um, at the end of a history lesson, I think I've told this story once before at this church, but anyway, at the, end of a, at the beginning of a history lesson, uh, our history master came in and uh, it was a rainy day. We were all inside. We hadn't been able to go out onto the field to run off some steam. We were all sort of being, you know, uh, uh, you know over-energetic, and there was mayhem in the classroom. And some of the guys had just been to a Billy Graham mission up at Earl's Court and had brought back a load of leaflets. You know, they got the, the leaflets, the T-shirt, the hat, the balloon. Or I don't know if anybody went forward, but they brought all this stuff in, and they're all sort of arguing over this stuff and swapping it around. So the history master comes in, and there's all this chaos, and he's just, this is just what he needs. 45, 40 minutes, our class, with a load of hyper 11-year-olds. And so he says, back to your seats, get back to your seats. And he you know, hands out a few uh, detentions and stuff like that. And... Uh, and anyway, we all scuttle back to our seats, and then one wise guy on the back row says, actually, so we weren't mucking about. We were talking about religion. And the history master looks very suspicious. Now, the thing we knew about this guy, his name was Mr. Oddy. <laughs> He'd lived with that all his life. And, and he was an evangelical Christian. And from time to time was seen, you know, down uh, in the town center preaching the word with a sandwich board and all the rest of it. And so he was an object of ridicule. So this wise guy is, is rocking on his seat. He says, actually, we weren't talking, mucking around, we are talking about religion. And Mr. Roddy looks suspicious. I don't know if you've ever had, if any of you have had a sort of a, a pet, dog or a cat, probably a dog, and you've, not, and you've got to give it some medication. I don't know what it is, but the animals seem to know that you're wanting to slip them a pill, you know? And normally this dog is also like that, but it's like, uh, uh, what's going on here? Uh, not sure I like this. Anybody identify with that? Yeah, you know what I mean. They got this sixth sense. Well, Mr. Oddie had a sixth sense. Uh, don't know what the, what's, what's going on here, you know? And, and he said, what do you mean, boy? What do you mean? And then the story came out, Billy Graham, et cetera, et cetera. And bless his heart, Mr. Oddie, he'd not started the lesson well. He was an object of ridicule. He was in a bad mood. He had 40 minutes with these little tyrants. But you know what? Bless his heart, he blurted out the gospel. He blurted out the gospel. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, as I think you know, uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, uh, uh. 
and he just blurted it out. And the room went quiet. And I'm, I'm not a wise guy, I'm a nearly wise guy, which means I'm sort of three quarters of the way back in the class. I'm not in the back row, I'm in the row in front of that. And I'm grinning like an idiot, rocking back and forth. And uh, he blurts out the gospel. And uh, you see, he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Not just the people who think they're sinners, but everyone's sinned. And I thought, well, I'm not a sinner. I, I, I'm a nice bloke. And he said, the bad news is you're destined for hell. I thought, flipping heck. He says, the good news is that Jesus has died on the cross for you to deal with that. He'll take your sin and instead he'll give you life, eternal life. And I thought, I'm getting some of that, bro. And I went home and, and, you know, he had the good sense to say, what do you need to do is you just need to sort of, you know, say a prayer, just ask Jesus to forgive you and ask him to come into your life and that's it, done deal. I think he was exaggerating slightly. So I went home and I did exactly that. Didn't let on, didn't tell anybody. Went home, said the prayer, expected something to happen, but nothing did. And curiously enough, over the next few days, this became a bit of an obsession with me. Did it work? Am I going to hell or am I going to heaven? You know. So I, I ended up by plucking up courage after about a week or so. And at the end of a lesson, I, I sidled up alongside Mr. Oddy and I said, Mr. Oddy, can I just ask you a question? You know, when last week, I said, um, well, I said the prayer, but nothing's happened. You know, what, 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 what's, what's, uh? And he said, did you? Really? Honestly, whole disposition changed. He probably went home that night, and probably some of you have done the same thing. And he probably said to his dear wife, I had this opportunity today to talk about Jesus, and I completely fluffed it. Anybody ever done that? Three of you. Oh, come on, get real. <laughs> get real. God, you guys. And he said, I just... You know, I made a real mess of it. And, oh, gosh. And he probably felt really bad on himself. But, you know, it hit me in the chest. And look at me now. So I said to him, I said, yeah, I, I said the prayer, but, you know, uh, I don't know what to do next. Nothing seems to have happened. And he said to me, he said, it's probably just ignorance. I thought, I knew I didn't like this bloke, you know. You see, unbelief is not ignorance. Now, uh, if somebody says you're ignorant, it, it's pejorative. It, 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 you know, it, it's, it's not a compliment. But he was actually just being factual. And bless his heart, and it was excruciatingly embarrassing, but I, I'd somehow found the courage to do it. He said, look, a couple of other lads, I've got a little Christian thing going, and would you like to join us? And you know, we'll look at the scriptures and stuff like that. And, and, and I was hooked sufficiently. Obviously, the Spirit of God was already at work in me, and I didn't realize it, to say, okay, well, I'll come along, you know. So for about a term or so, I went along to these excruciatingly embarrassing lunchtime discipleship classes. But dear old Mr. Oddie taught me 
and I was not quite as ignorant as I was before. Unbelief is not ignorance. Unbelief is not the honest questions that a seeker has when they accept an invitation to come to an Alpha course or an Introduction to Christianity course or, or something like that. Often when I've spoken to people who are pre-Christians, not a Christian yet, or considering Christianity, you know, they think that the doubts they have or the questions they have mean that they are on the road to hell. Well, that's a lie. The enemy is selling you a lie. He doesn't want you to have those conversations. He doesn't want you to bring your, you know, you are thinking about it. You're not in total ignorance. You, you know, you've heard something, you picked up something, you watched a show on the television, you may have even picked up the family Bible, if, if such a thing still exists in most homes these days. But you, you've got things going around your head, and so those, those are questions. People, you know, the world often believes that faith is an unquestioning exercise. It's not. Unbelief is not honest questioning. Unbelief, unbelief is like a, a shoelace that has come undone. Unbelief is where you are a believer and maybe have been a believer for many years and maybe resolved all of the big questions many years ago, maybe at uni, maybe before, maybe 18 months ago. And, and you show up and you serve and you give and you bless and you know when to stand up and you know when to sit down and, and you're trying to be a good neighbor and you're trying to share your You're doing all the right things, but actually, because of a, a series of disappointments, a series of things that have come undone, a series of things that have gone wrong, there's been a hardening of your heart towards the Lord. You're still functioning as a Christian. But if really pressed and challenged, and I hope that one or two of you will be challenged this morning, you would be able to identify with that man. Lord, I believe. I, I truly believe. You know, Jesus... This man was standing before the Son of God. He was not lying. I said he, he spoke the truth. He is a believer. He is a believer. But he says, honestly, my wife and I have struggled with this son of ours whom we love, we would take a bullet for. But when you deal with this two, three times a day for a lifetime, when you plead with God, when you fast with God, when you pay every passing preacher and teacher to pray, when you take him to the Pharisees, when you take him to the scribes and they can do nothing, you, be, you begin to wonder. You begin to wonder. You know, I remember the days as a teenager, the excitement that my buddies and I had when we anticipated the Sabbath. If you've been in Jerusalem, by the way, as an, uh, on a Friday... Uh, you know, as they prepare for the Sabbath, they go mental. All the young men, they're like they're drunk. I, I, I'm not being funny here. They are in such 
excitement that the Sabbath is coming. And it seems to be the young men and they dance in the street and, and sing songs heralding in the Sabbath. It's an extraordinary experience. I can't say that I saw many people dancing through the door this morning. And I have to say, in 30 years of ministering at the vineyard, I haven't seen too many people dancing through the door in anticipation of celebrating the Lord's Day. But this dear Jewish man, Jewish boy, had danced in the streets with his friends, celebrating the coming of the Sabbath. And then that dear young girl that he'd, he'd known probably from his youth, whenever they'd seen each other from quite a, an early age, there'd been a little twinkle in the eye. And then the great day came. And the marriage celebration, the whole village came to it. And they celebrated and they danced and they drunk and they parted. Then in due course, a child was born to them. And then, how long has he been like this since childhood? Lord, I believe. What can I say to you, Jesus? I believe. Help my unbelief. Mark those words. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead, it's over, he's done for. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. I love Luke's account of this same story where he says, and Jesus gave him back to his father. Oh, my gosh. Here you are, bro. Here's your son. Oh, my gosh. What a savior. Oh, Jesus, you know how to get right to the very heart of us. Oh, Jesus. Jesus gave him back to his father. Just to round the story up, verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. I wish we could spend more time unpacking that, but, but you get the gist. See, my concern about me, you know, the funny thing is, you know, when you've spent a long time being a pastor, and this will be true for Anne and Helen, you know, you, you literally spend every waking moment and quite a few moments in the middle of the night when you should be asleep or wish you were asleep actually thinking about other people. It kind of gets under your skin. And so with, with Fliss and myself, and by the way, Fliss apologizes for not being here. She made a commitment to our daughter-in-law to help her every Sunday uh, with our grandson because he is a uh, challenging little chap and uh, he's lovely. 
and I love seeing him. Uh, I also love it when the car disappears down the drive, you know. <laughs> oh, they're gone. Oh, did I miss them? <laughs> no, I, well, I love them to bits. You know, Fliss and I, we, we, we uh, uh, had our retirement party at the end of September. You know, dear Ant and Helen came. In fact, I want to just honor you guys. They, would you believe it? You know, they moved into a new house. I don't know if you know this, but they moved into their new house in, at the end of September. Unbeknownst to me, on the day they moved into their new house, they dropped everything to come and honor Fliss and myself at our uh, retirement due. And I, you know, oh, bless you guys. You know, thank you. Really appreciate it. It was a gift to us when I heard about that. Thank you. Since that time, though, and especially since the laying on of uh, hands, since we commissioned Mark Calvagian, I think Mark's come and spoken, spoken to your, your men's group, hasn't he? He has, yeah. Uh, so Mark Calvagian, who's been in our leadership team for six years now, uh, he is our new pastor and doing an absolutely wonderful job. But it was, it was kind of uncanny because we still care. We're, we're still the founding pastors. We're still, the, in, in some sense of it, the mother and father of the church, second only to Jesus, of course. But, but suddenly you find yourself with all that kind of energy and momentum, and suddenly the Lord wants to turn it around and say, okay, now let's do a bit of, let's do a bit of work on you, Chris. I said, what? I'm the finished article. <laughs> no. And so what, what Jesus began to show me was that whilst mainly through thanksgiving, humility, and, and worship, one keeps your heart tender, I've known a few disappointments, a few setbacks. Anybody here, generally, again, I'm going to ask you, keep this as sort of, a, yeah, you've known a few disappointments, setbacks. And those things, I've taken to Jesus and I prayed about them, but they've left, they've left something which I haven't dealt with. I've not been as honest as this man with Jesus. You know, when that situation has resolved itself in a way that perhaps I was not expecting, and not necessarily, in my humble opinion, the best possible way, and sometimes that happens. Jesus answers the prayer, but it's a bit surprising. It's not quite you, what you thought. Sometimes, often it's better than what you thought. But occasionally it's like, oh, Lord, I don't really get it. It would have been so great if, you know, if that person had been healed, a whole load of people would have come to Jesus, you know. But you've taken them home. Boy, we prayed, we fasted, we did everything we knew how, we anointed with them all, we sent the elders round, you know, and still they die. What's, well, you know, what's that about? And there's the leader of the church who invests in these things, and you have to invest yourself in this. You have to really invest yourself. I remember in my very first minister, uh, job as a minister, I was originally ordained as an Anglican uh, priest. And in my training parish, I was only there for three years. I knew I was going to be there for three years. And for some reason, you know, uh, I kept saying in those, early, those first few weeks, 
didn't last much longer than that. I kept saying, you know, I'm only here for a short while, but, you know, for a while I'm here, I want to do this, I want to do that, and I want to help you with this. And after a little while, my, my training pastor challenged me. He said, Chris, I just want to say something to you. You know, love having you around, great job and all the rest of it. You keep saying, I'm only here for a short while. What, what, what's, what, what, what is going on there? What's that about? And I had to go away and think about that question. And what I realized was, was that I was actually trying to hold the people at arm's length. I was not wanting to give myself because I was afraid of the pain when I extracted myself. So I went back and answered the question as best I could. And he said to me, he said, Chris, you can't do that, that mirror. You know, you, you, you've, you've got to learn to love the people. And I mean learn to love because sometimes people do people's stuff and they're not always lovable. But you've got to learn to love. So, you know, you invest, you give yourself to a situation, and when you do that, you're going to get hurt. You know, in the spirit, Aunt and Helen, in the spirit, have got deep scars on their back because they've not, you know, they, they're pastors who've committed to this community and this city and when you commit with love and compassion, you're gonna get a few scars along the way. Simply the way it is. So honor them and love them and make ministry a joy, the scripture says. So anyway, we find ourselves as Christians who are going on with the Lord, if we're not careful, harboring questions and disappointments and there are things that are not quite resolved for us and we get crispy round the edge. Now this puts us actually in a very vulnerable position. We know from the scriptures how Jesus feels about unbelief. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? Brothers and sisters, as, as, a, as a fellow disciple, I have to say to you, it's time to do a bit of housekeeping Examine your hearts. And if you find yourself, if you find yourself carrying a little bit of this kind of attitude, it begins to creep in as, as cynicism. That's one way it happens. Oh, Helen's up there giving another prophetic word. Oh, my goodness, you know, here we go. I mean, you don't articulate, you don't consciously think that, but there's a slight kind of in the spirit. Oh, I'm sort of, you know, preaching from God's word and, and he's going through Philippians and he's teaching this. You know, oh, I've heard this before. Come on, bro. You know, it can articulate itself in all sorts of little secret things. Not that you would share with your partner, your friend or anyone. It's, it's part of the inner voice, which is still the old Adam wanting to pretend that he is in control. I am of that company that actually, much to my own surprise, I have to admit, believes that God is preparing us for revival. Wasn't, I, I used to think that, then I didn't think that, but now I'm thinking that again. I believe we are preparing ourselves for an extraordinary 
move of God. There won't be an empty seat in this place. There will be seats all around the place and out there into the cafe. Now some of you are going, yeah, heard that one before, Chris. Really? Where's your heart in this? How big is your Jesus? Could your Jesus do this? Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So the first thing we do with this, once we begin to clock, that this unbelief thing has crept up upon us so carefully, is we admit and recognize that in ourselves. We sing about God doing the impossible, but somewhere along the line, we've stopped believing that God will do the impossible. Not that he can do the impossible. There isn't a Christian in Christendom that says that God can you know, not do anything. God can do everything. Of course he can. But will he? And the answer is he's looking for a people who are not an unbelieving generation. He wants to look at his church and see a believing generation. It's a kingdom thing. And the only way we can do that is by admitting that we're carrying unbelief and coming to Jesus and asking his forgiveness. Now, there may be specific ongoing things in life. Yeah, well, Chris, that's all very well, but, you know, I have a child that, or we cannot get pregnant, or, you know, I have, I have this health issue. And, you know, you, you, you can argue with God. You're not arguing with me. You can argue with God about that, but what's your heart going to be in this? Are you going to be the dutiful, the, rather like the, the elder son of, you know, of in the prodigal son story, who says, Father, you know, I showed up. I've been here all along. You know, I didn't go off and do crazy things. I was a good boy. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Where's your salvation there then? In his grace or your goodness? Folks, folks, folks. Hear my heart in this. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He wants to prepare us so that we can receive and believe that he will do extraordinary things. Can he do extraordinary things in Forest Town and through Forest Town? Can he? Can he? Can he? You know, I see half of you nodding. God bless your honesty if you're not in that place. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be, is intended to be a foretaste of heaven. A foretaste of heaven. It's a place where those who are outside can see, catch a glimpse, if you like, Get a taste of what heaven's going to be like. And as much as I love the worship this morning, and as much as I love hearing the, my own voice, I hope that there's more in heaven, because I think I might be bored with this a little bit after a while. 
there's so much more for us. Let's not disqualify ourselves. Let's qualify ourselves. I don't know how I'm doing for time. I probably need to wind up, don't I? Why don't we just stand now? Um, let's have... Uh, Stuart, why don't you just come up and tinkle away on that guitar of yours? Just give me a bit of background music. Something really spiritual, bro. Okay. I, I want the hairs on the back of my neck to go up, bro. So play good. Play good. Now, some of you mums and dads may have to step out because I don't know how I'm doing for time, but I want to do what I said right at the beginning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be real with God and, and all this is going to mean, uh, I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. And, and I'm just going to invite you to come forward. And what you're doing is, you know, you're just saying, Lord, you got me this morning. I need to go away and think about this. I need to reflect on this, but I'm open for business. My heart is open to business for you, Lord. It's had a do not disturb sign up for a while, but it's an open for business sign now. And Lord, whatever it takes, Lord God. Yeah, I still have these issues. I still have that. I still have the other. So this is just an opportunity to acknowledge the fact that you've got a little ways to go, particularly in this area of unbelief. So just close your eyes, folk. Thank you. Father, I just want to say thank you for your presence here. Thank you for what you're doing in the church, not just in this church. And I thank you for the plans. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We sung it this morning. I thank you for what you intend to do in Forest Town. I thank you for what you intend to do through Forest Town. And thank you for calling us to be part of this community. And so, Lord God, I just pray now that you would deal with me as a son, as a daughter, and that you would unlock unbelief in me. And I'm going to ask you just to come down to the front, and I'll, I'll pray a blessing on you. It won't be any big gig, but it's just that acknowledgement. So come down to the front, just line up along the front here, if you want to just make that acknowledgement that there's work to be done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. When the leaders step forward, that's always good because the people will follow. Whether the leaders, where the leaders go, the people will follow. So just line up along the front. Bless you, Colin. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Just make a little more room. That's cool. Bless you guys. You knew God had more for you. You knew this wasn't just it. You knew right from the earliest days that God had plans for you. We're just calling you on that now. So just bow your heads. I'm going to pray a blessing now and then, then we're done. Father, I just want to say thank you to you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that there's still time. There's still time for every one of these folk who've stepped forward here, and perhaps a few more besides, 
Lord God, we just say we present ourselves before for you. And we say, Lord God, would you unlock unbelief in us? Would you help us to deal with disappointment by confessing it, by seeking your help, seeking your grace, seeking your healing of our heart, Lord God. Some of us are heart sick, not just hard-hearted, but heart sick. Lord, raise our expectations in a holy God who is passionate about revealing Jesus to this generation who's looking for a community that's marked by faith and purpose, who's looking for hearts that will not be deterred, who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. In Jesus' name, Amen.